I'm going to jump right into the message this morning. You guys ready for the word? Take your Bibles. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalms 23. If you have your phones and you want to go to the Freedom Church app, the sermon notes are there. It's Psalms 23. I'll get to that in just a moment. And I want to talk to you this morning about how to put fear under your feet. Put fear under your feet. Everybody battles with fear to some degree or another. With one object or another. We battle with fear, different grades, different levels, different ways, but everybody battles with something. I'm not talking about your, you know, phobias with spiders and, you know, things like that. I'm, I'm talking about real fear, fear of failure, fear of loss of even the will to live, fear of economic collapse, fear of a, a, mil, a marriage failure, fear uh, of sickness, or maybe obtaining a hereditary disease or passing on a hereditary disease. People battle with fear of all kinds that rob them of their joy in life. And so I want to talk this morning about how to put fear under your feet. This past Friday, Kyle and I had the opportunity to go to Arizona. We met with some other pastors there and we hiked down and out of the Grand Canyon. Now, it's about a 21-mile hike. It took us about three and a half hours to go down. And then it took us about six and a half hours to come out, which shouldn't have taken that long. But I'll tell you why it took us that long a little bit later. Uh, but incredible journey, incredible experience. Now, you know, I like to hike. I've, I've told you how I've hiked Pikes Peak seven times. This is my third time to do the Grand Canyon. But hiking Pikes Peak is 14,115 feet. It's completely different than hiking the Grand Canyon. And here's the difference. Although both of them are about the same in distance, 21 miles Grand Canyon, 26 miles Pikes Peak. When you do Pikes Peak, you can start your trek up. And at any time you just feel like you can't go on, you can always turn around and go back down. I mean, it's not always that simple, but you're going up, you can always come back down. The difference in hiking the Grand Canyon is once you go down, you have to come back up. You can't just decide, oh, this is too hard. I think I'll just, no, you still have to go up. There's only really two ways of getting out of that canyon, walking out or getting carried out. And I didn't see anybody getting carried. <laughs> walking or, or calling a helicopter to come rescue you. But we were on this trip, and the reason it took us a little longer to get out than it should have, we had one of the guys on the trip was having a little struggle. And I know a lot of people, they go down the Grand Canyon, there's a fear of doing that, the fear of not being able to make it back out, the fear of a body part giving out an ankle or a leg, or, or the fear of just getting too tired and getting stuck down there. Uh, you know, there's a fear. Well, we had a guy in our group that just had a little bit of a struggle, and we weren't really sure if he was going to be able to make it. And so we were all trying to encourage and help and support any way that we could. And one of the other guys on the trip, Gary, said to the one that was struggling, said, Kyle, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He didn't do that. He didn't. No, no, I didn't do he didn't do that. No, Kyle, you know, Kyle was blowing everybody away. Uh, he looked at the other fellow that was struggling and he told him, he said, listen, don't focus on trying to get to the rim because when you look up out of that canyon, it's pretty massive. It, it's, it's, uh, it's overwhelming. And he said, don't, don't focus on trying to get up there. He said, focus just one step at a time. 
just one step at a time. Just focus right here. Get from here to there. And then you can get from there to there. And he just helped. And I, I realized that that advice works for this as well. Because sometimes we get overwhelmed with what's going to happen in the future. We get overwhelmed with what's coming next. We get overwhelmed with you know, the next election or the next or retirement or marriage or children. We get overwhelmed with what, what's going to look like. What's education going to look like for kids when they start going to school? We, we get overwhelmed with the future. You got to back it up one step at a time. Right here, right now, we got to learn to put fear under our feet. Psalms 23, David kind of gives us a little glimpse into this in this very familiar chapter that has brought so much encouragement and peace uh, and comfort to so many in different situations. Uh, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though I'm on the brink of death, I will fear no evil. Even though everything around me seems to be falling apart, I will fear no evil. Even though nothing seems to be working out on my, uh, for my favor, I will fear no evil. Though I'm on the, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. Because you're with me. And sometimes I think we forget when we get overwhelmed with all the things that are going on in life, we forget that the secret ingredient is that he's with us. He's with us. And we start buying into a different type of gospel message, which I'll talk about in just a minute. But he says, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they come for me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, David is literally on the brink of death himself at this point because he's running from King Saul who is trying to take his life. And so he's facing death each and every day. And I know that here in America, in many ways, it looks like kind of our country's on the brink of death. Like, where is it going? Have people gone just crazy? Are, are, you, are, you, are you serious that we're facing the things that we're facing today? And we think, where, where is this thing going? David is, is on the brink of death, and so he, he, he gives us a little bit of a way he processes through putting fear under his feet. See, because the object of our fears oftentimes seem more real, and I, I don't want to display it, but they, they seem more real than maybe they really are. And so that's why I bring this question, how do we put fear under our feet when the, and face our future fearlessly when the things that are causing fear, the things that are promoting fear, the things that are generating fear remain the same in our lives? How do we do that? Because you can't just tell somebody, don't, don't be afraid. Don't fear. Fear not. I mean, that's great. But when the things that are in our life remain the same, the things that are creating that, that environment of fear are, are there, it's very hard just to turn it on, turn it off. So to put fear under our feet, it's not just ignoring the object of fear. Listen to me. To put fear under your feet, you have to have something greater than the object of fear, the thing that's causing fear in your life. You have to have something greater. And you know what that greater thing is? The Word of God. He said, oh, that, that was too simple. That, oh, my God. I'll go back to my shopping list now. No, I want you to listen to me. 
the word of God, the promises that are in the word of God become the source for being able to put fear under our feet. So you got to identify fear for what it is. You got to identify it for what it does. Consider fear public enemy. Number one, fear is a crippling spirit. It neutralizes, it paralyzes. Fear is a magnet that pulls you towards it. That's why Job said, the thing that I feared the most has now come upon me. Fear is destructive in nature. It's a child of the devil. Fear is the counterpart to faith. Faith is what allows God's will to be done in our faith. Uh, fear is what allows the, the devil's will to be done in our life. You got to put fear under your feet. You got to hate it. You got to see it as the devil that's trying to rob you of every good and perfect thing that God has put in your life. Fear's a sucker. It'll suck the joy right out of your life. You got to conquer fear or fear will conquer you. Fear comes the same way. This is why I said uh, that, that it's not just so simple, me saying that the word of God is the thing that is greater than fear. I know some of us say, oh, that's just too simple. Fear comes the same way faith does. You know how faith comes? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Fear comes the same way. Fear comes by hearing and hearing what? Not the word of God, but the word that is opposite from God. And what are we hearing in our culture all day long? A message that is anti the word of God. And if that's what's filling your mind all day long, if that's what you're listening to all day long, come on, if, if you're just listening to the media all day long, your mind is being filled with fear. Fear comes by hearing, hearing by the negative words, the words of the enemy, the words of your haters, the words of your critics, the words of the demons that are sent to assign to, to destroy your life. So you've got to recognize fear for what it is. Fear is a killer. It kills dreams and it kills destinies and, it, and it, it, it presents a dark cloud of despair over our lives. Fear is a distraction. If, if the enemy can get you focused on an object of fear in any area of your life, you will end up missing the thing that God has in store for you. It's a distraction. And it's the devil's tool to keep you from experiencing God's best. It's like the, the construction worker. That, I'm going to get to it in just a second. Uh, the, the construction worker that was getting ready to leave the construction site and all the construction workers had to go through security check. Security making sure they didn't steal anything. So this one construction worker is walking out with a wheelbarrow and inside the wheelbarrow is a little cardboard box. And in the cardboard box, a bunch of sawdust. He gets to the security checkpoint. Security guard says, what do you have in the... Wilbury said, so I've got just a box of sawdust. So, so you know I'm going to have to check that. Oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. So he opens it up. He sticks his hand there. Can't feel anything, but he smells something fishy. So he turns it upside down, pours the box empty into the wheelbarrow. Nothing in there. He says, okay, go ahead. Let's him through. The next day, same thing. Construction workers coming out with the wheelbarrow. Little cardboard box filled with sawdust. What do you got in the box? Just sawdust. You know I'm going to have to check that, right? Sure. He feels around. He can't find anything, but he smells something fishy. Pours it out. Still can't find anything. Lets him go. This happens the third day. Happens the fourth day. Happens the fifth day. Finally, after the fifth day, the security guard says to the construction worker, said, listen, I know you're stealing something. I just can't figure what it is. Tell me what it is, and I promise I won't report you. The construction worker said, I'm stealing wheelbarrows. Distraction. 
You see, this is what the enemy does. He puts fear in our lives and gets us focused on that fear, whether it's with our children, with our marriage, with our health, with our money, with our country, and we end up missing the blessings of God. We miss the promises of God. We miss what God is doing because we're focused on this object of fear. So you got to make your mind up that you are going to feed your faith and you're going to starve your fear because I believe that a lot of churches have done a disservice to Christians by preaching this gospel of escapism. That if you trust in God, that if you love the Lord, then you're never going to have any trouble in your life. It's going to protect you from ever going through anything. You know, I just don't believe that. I believe in telling you the truth. Your love for God's not going to prevent you from getting sick. You're going to get sick sometimes, but there's a promise for healing. Your love for God's not going to keep you from having you know, financial struggles from time to time. Your, your love for God, it's not going to keep your children from ever rebelling from time to time. Things like that are going to happen. And now you say, Pastor, how could you say something like, because I've lived a long time on this earth and I've seen it and I know my love for God doesn't prevent these challenges from coming in my life. But what the promises of God do, it, the promise of God does in my life is it gives me the strength to be able to get through every one of those troubles. It gets me through every problem. So you got to learn how to live with the power and the authority of God's word because your love for God, it's not going to keep inflation down. It's not going to close our borders. No, no, love for God doesn't do that. Voting does. Hang on. Since I'm already here. (laughs) Do you know when you stand before God, I'm pretty sure you're not going to be judged on whether you supported higher taxes or lower taxes. God's never going to ask you about that. Pretty sure. Although who wants to pay higher taxes? Nobody in their right mind. When you stand before God, you're probably not going to be judged on whether you believed in open borders or closed borders. Although every one of you locked your house last night when you went to bed, you know, You probably support closed borders. When you stand before God, you're probably not going to be judged on whether you supported oil and gas or the the bad green deal. You're probably not going to be judged on most of those issues, but you know what you will be judged on? How you took care of his, his life. How you took care of his children. Because every single one of us were created by God. And even those children in the womb were created by the very breath of God. And he's going he's gonna to judge us on how we protected the least of these, how we protected the children. So when it comes to, and I know we're already in that season, every advertisement is about you know, voting, protect the children, protect the children, protect the children. Let me get back to my message now. That was for somebody today. You needed to hear that. See, in real life, bad things happen. In real life, challenges come. We, we don't become Christians. We don't follow Christ. We don't put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to prevent us from having challenges in our life. 
But what happens is if we understand what the word of God is teaching us, then we have a a fighting spirit inside of us because God is looking for fighting warriors who are willing to take a stand. And when we take that stand, we know that no matter what comes our way, we can stand upon his promises. Like in Isaiah 54, that says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Now, we have this promise that every tongue which rises up against us, we will condemn it. We have the promise of Isaiah 59 that when the enemy comes in, like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. We have the promise of Romans 8, 28, that all things are going to work together for good. We have the promise of 1 John 4, 4 that tells us we are of God, little children, and have overcome them. For greater is he that's in you, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. We have this promise. We have the promise of 1 John 5, 4, that whoever is born of God, that's you, that's me, then we overcome the world. Why? Because of our faith, we overcome the world. Not fear, but because of our faith. You see, Noah's love for God didn't keep the flood from coming. Joseph's love for God didn't keep his brothers from throwing him in the pit. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's willingness to take a stand and not bow before that image did not keep them from getting thrown into the fire. Daniel's commitment to pray didn't keep him from getting thrown in the lion's den. So what I'm saying to you is that there are challenges that are going to come. I know some of you may be thinking, oh, Pastor, you're supposed to be a little more encouraging than this. You're kind of bringing us down today. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in building warriors for Christ that are willing to take a stand and fight, not a bunch of woke sissies and Christian snowflakes. Now, they, don't, they don't belong. We need to know that we are facing our future fearlessly, not giving in, not bowing down to fear and doubt and unbelief. It doesn't mean that the devil's going to roll over and play dead. We're going to have a fight on our hands. But we have to know that just like David said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he's with me. Every step of the way, he's with me. And we've got this promise in Isaiah 41. Look, fear not, fear not, I'm with thee. What else needs to be said? If he's with us, what do we have to worry? He's going to take care of us. Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they will not overflow you. Walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Why? Because he's with us. So why are we giving in to fear? Why are we bowing down to fear? God didn't promise us that we wouldn't have to go uh, go through anything, but he promised he would be there in every step. So one of the first keys, look at this. I want you to notice this. One of the first keys of putting fear under your feet is to know that fear, it's not just a negative emotion. I want you to understand this. It's not just a negative emotion. Fear is actually a spirit. That means that fear is a living personality that's seeking residence in your life. See, some of us don't recognize the, the makeup of fear. It's not just an emotion that you have. It's a, a living personality. It's a spirit. What does 2 Timothy 1, 7 say? For God has not given us a spirit of fear. So that spirit is looking for a place to take up residence. That spirit is looking for a place to dwell. And if it can, if it can find a place in you where you are doubting, where you're unbelief, where you're willing to give fear space, it will come and take up that space inside of you. You have to be willing to fight fear and oppose fear like you would somebody trying to break into your house. Now, here in Texas, we do that a little bit different. We believe in the right to bear arms. You break into our house and you're probably going to get shot. Then we'll call 911. 
You got to fight that same way. I love what the Apostle Paul did. Historians have said that when the Apostle Paul, when they were about to take his life at the end of his life, that instead of being drugged to the chopping block, he ran to the chopping block. What was he doing? He was robbing fear of its power over his life. He was putting fear under his feet and he was saying, you're not taking my life. I'm giving my life for the one who gave his life for me. That's the way we have to approach fear. Now you're going to take my life. I'm going to take my stand against you. See, this message is not about avoiding turbulence in our life. It's about how to ride it out and come through on the other side, safe and sound. Come out with your joy. Come out with your peace. So we're not letting fear lord over us or, or have co uh, control over us. We are putting fear under our feet. We have no control over food supplies and food chain and, and gas prices. and We don't have control over that, but we have control over what we allow ourselves to believe. Are we going to give in to fear? Are we going to continue to put our faith in Christ? As the worship team is coming back, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, there's a short little story, just in two verses here, about a man by the name of Shammah. Now, Shammah is one of David's mighty men. And he's with some others who were supposed to be mighty men, some other of the troops of, of Israel. And they're in a pea patch. It says, next to Shammah, son of Aji the Herite, when the Philistines banded together, at a place where there was a field full of lentils, a field full of beans. Shammah and his men are gathering the beans, gathering the lentils to feed their families, and a group of Philistines came against them. And what happened? Israel's troops fled. They just took off and they ran. They ran in fear. They were afraid for their lives. But here's what I want you to see. You can either be part of the group that's going to run and be afraid for your life and run from every battle and run from every struggle and run from every problem and run and, 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 and blame God for not being there. Or you could stand like Shama because here's what Shama did. But Shama, not like the others, here's Shama took his stand. Everybody say took his stand. Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. What happened? Shammah decided to put fear under his feet, and he took his stand. And rather than running like the other boys, he took his stand, and not only did he defend what was his, he took down the enemies that came against him. Now listen, the odds were against him. This didn't look like a fair match, but what Shammah remembered and the other Israelites forgot is that the Lord was with him. The Lord was fighting on his behalf. And when you take your stand and you put fear under your feet, you're not the only one fighting the enemy on your own. You've got the Lord on your side. You've got God on your side. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Can somebody say amen? Listen, the enemy, he's not coming for the peace from your pea patch. He's coming from the joy in your heart and the, and the song in your, in your soul. He's coming to take the, the life out of you and he's trying to take your children. You've got to be willing to take your stand and defend what's yours. Our faith in God, it's not, a, it's not an escape hatch to magically make all of our troubles disappear. No, it's the ability to have the Holy Ghost power inside of us, a supernatural power that allows us to stand against our enemies and defy all the odds. See, we're not looking for a fair match. I don't know. I don't things, think things won't add up on paper when it comes to spiritual battle. It'll always be a mismatch. But that's where faith comes in. 
We put our faith in the fact that God is on our side and that he will take care of us. I don't know what's coming next in our world. I, I, I don't know what God has in store for us. We've got so many crises on every single front. We got sexual identity crisis. And I tell you, God's looking for men who know their men and women who know their women. We've got sexual indoctrination crisis. Yeah, we got border crisis. We've got inflation crisis. We got a corrupt government, a lying media. We got, we got problems everywhere. And it's easy to get discouraged and it's easy to start getting into despair. But I'm reminded that God has promised that the glory of the latter house is greater than the glory of the former house. That means that where we are today is better than where we were before. That means that the best is still yet to come. That means we could sit around here and we could hope and wish and cry for the old glory days, or we could realize that we're in the new glory days and that the days ahead of us are still better than the days behind us. So we can sit around and complain, or we could begin to celebrate that we're in the middle of some of the greatest times that God has ever been moving and that the best is yet to come. God wants to do more in our lives than ever before. Listen, Jesus taught us through the turning of the water into wine that he always saves the best for last. So yes, as dark as it's getting, that just means the daylight's getting ready to come. The sun is getting ready to shine. Jesus is about to show up and I don't know how it's going to look, but I know this, Jesus is going to show up in either revival or he's going to show up in wrath. And either way, I'm going to be on Jesus' side because I believe revival could come just as easy as wrath could come. But either way, God's going to get the glory and I'm going to stand on Jesus' side. If he saved the best for last, just think. Think of the things that maybe you've read about the Azusa Street Revival and the revivals in Wells and England and the revival in Brownsville. All of that was just a warm-up for what he's about to do. Oh, you, we can sit around and get discouraged all day long or put fear under our feet and not get distracted by the fear of the things that aren't right and put our faith in the things that God's getting ready to do. Celebrate that the best is yet to come. Amen?